Hello and welcome to Better Construction with Sean McStay, the podcast where we discuss design and construction techniques, products, and details that lead to a better built environment. All right, and welcome to this week's episode of Better Construction. This week, I am very happy to have with me uh, Bridget O'Flaherty. Uh, she is a sustainability consultant and also active on social media as Building Science Girl. So welcome to the show. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Of course. So maybe introduce yourself briefly for anyone who's not familiar with you. Like you said, I'm, I'm Bridget O'Flaherty. I, I live in uh, the Perth, Ontario area, and uh, I do energy sustainability consultation for builders. And I have a lot of other things that I do in my life as well. But that's the primary thing that I think we're going to be talking about today. Awesome. Typically, when uh, guests are on, one of the first questions I ask is kind of how did you get into the construction or sustainability side of things? So for you and your growing up was um, energy efficiency and environmentalism kind of uh, an interesting thing for you? Or how did that start? No, I mean, it, it started in my early 20s with my partner. We were starting to uh, get the idea about building our own house. And we had the good fortune of getting some land available to us. So we had kind of free reign to design what we wanted to design. And um, I was in real estate at the time. So I was starting to learn about green real estate, green architecture. Um, and we live in kind of an alternative community. So there's a lot of very interesting buildings and homes in this area, a lot of owner built homes. Um, so we started playing around with design and got, got down the rabbit hole of green building and high performance building that way. And then through real estate, I kind of tripped into doing energy work with a, a company in the area and getting trained to understand how buildings work better. So really just I tripped into it. That's interesting. That's often uh, the case I find for a lot of my guests, actually, is it's not normally kind of all pre-planned out. Um, so when you say, you know, on your website, you're listed as a sustainability consultant. Uh, okay. What does that envelop? What does a sustainability consultant do? So there's a lot of different aspects of that. Um, but what I do is energy, mostly energy consulting for builders who are wanting to build high performance homes. But I also help homeowners improve the efficiency of their homes as they exist and what they can do that way. And I'm also a lead AP. So work on projects doing um, doing sustainability builds under the lead program. And I've worked primarily on a neighborhood program, our neighborhood project here in Ottawa. And it was sort of the whole project. It wasn't just an individual home. It was the entire uh, subdivision was lead. So just helping them reach the targets and goals for the lead program. Okay. Yeah. Maybe take me through that process a little bit uh, for the listeners. If someone, uh, say, starting with a homeowner approaches you, um, they, want to, they want to improve their existing home or they want to get uh, something better for their next home. There's lots of different programs and acronyms and everything out there. There's yeah. LEED, Passive House, Net Zero, all these different things. Yeah. How do you kind of start that journey with them? Uh, primarily, well, if they're wanting to build something new, um, taking a look at whether they want to do labeling or not. And if they are going to build it themselves, it's not really a program that's readily available. It's for builders who are already doing building in, under the Energy Star program. So Energy Star is a government funded, I guess, based program where they're, they're reaching specific targets that are about 25% better than a code built home. Um, but they have specific things they have to actually make happen in that build. So if you want an Energy Star home, you can 
go down that road, find a builder who does build that way. And then you're going to end up with a home that's about 25% better than a regular code built home. Most homeowners, I would just try to direct towards what is their goal. And that's always a, it's a big question. Building green is, it's a broad topic. There's not just one thing, one size fits all for everybody. Like you say, all the different programs that are out there, Passive House, Net Zero, LEED, R2000, Energy Star, all of those things are possible. And some people just want a healthy home. So it, it just depends. Okay. I guess is the answer to that. <laughs> yeah, no, that's a great answer. And it kind of leads well into my next question, which is uh, what, when you're asking them about what their goal is, um, what what are kind of some of the main goals? Are most people leaning towards they want to you know pay less for their energy bill or are more people talking about it being healthy or air quality? I think it goes without saying everybody wants to pay less for their energy bills. So like that's that's a very easy um, target to hit and station levels, incre- increased air tightness on the house, um, high performance mechanicals, those things can all lead towards better efficiency, but they also lead to a healthier home. So it's kind of, they're part and parcel, Um, you know, having proper ventilation and having materials that go into your home that aren't off-gassing and that aren't going to be problematic in the future for you. Those are very personal. uh, That type of work, the materials is very personal and it's, it can get very expensive. So it just kind of depends on the homeowner and what they're willing to do. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So for the homeowner side, I mean, there may be the people that are experiencing the benefits a little more. How do you approach it when you're talking to contractors that are are looking to do a build and are, you know, approaching you for for advising services? Usually if a builder, if I'm talking to a builder, it's because they've contacted me and they already want to build better buildings. So they're just looking for ways of having metrics to measure what they're doing. Um, and they're maybe wanting to hit a target. Maybe they want to do passive house, which I don't have certification for. Um, or maybe they want to do lead. Maybe they want to do Energy Star or R2000. Or maybe they just want to have a house that is high performance and isn't specifically rated, but they want to know what the air tightness is of the house because that is one of the key things for having a high performance home um, is making sure you have an airtight home. So I go in and do air tightness testing. Some people are building houses that just don't quite fit the mold of um, building co- building code, and they want to do an alternative path. And so I do energy modeling that allows me to compare it to a regular code-built home and prove that it is more energy efficient or as energy efficient. Um, so sometimes, oftentimes with builders, they're just looking for the metrics and the measurements and the, the data. Okay. So it's and it's it's an easier sell most of the time. If I have to convince a builder to build a better house, I don't really end up it doesn't work out because <laughs> yeah. they don't want to be convinced. So it's not somebody that I end up working with most of the time. Okay. And with these builders that are kind of on board with it, but maybe it's their first time building uh, an airtight house or a higher performance house, what are some of the you know, uh, stumbling blocks that you see more frequently that, uh, you know, maybe if they knew about ahead of time, they could avoid? Well, dealing with their contractors or subcontractors is almost always where there's a a, a disconnect that happens, especially in the building envelope. Um, Building envelope for a high performance home is absolutely key in order to having it perform properly. And if you have contractors who don't know how to build that way and don't care about their penetrations, don't care about slashing um, vapor barrier when they're putting in lighting, 
And it turns out your vapor barrier was actually your air barrier in your garage. And you suddenly got a giant opening. So it is really about the subcontractors and making sure that they understand the project as you're going forward be- long before anything hits the ground. Okay. And with those subcontractors, uh, what are kind of some tips that you've run into for getting them on board? Is there a site training process? Are there signs that you hang up? Uh, yeah, no, it's usually site training. Um, and again, most of the uh, most builders who are dealing with high-performance homes hire contractors who already know, have already drank the Kool-Aid and already know that there's ways of doing it differently in, in terms of air barrier um, continuity and putting in windows and that and drainage and all of that kind of stuff is, is they're usually already on board. So, um, but there are training programs. Absolutely. There's a couple of different uh, companies that do training programs for high performance building to help contractors understand better what they're dealing with. Yeah, it's important. Okay. Uh, switching gears a little bit, you'd mentioned kind of neighborhood initiatives uh, mm-hmm. that you've worked on. Um, who are some of the kind of the key drivers for those and, and what are kind of the things that you've learned from them? Usually it's developers that want and sit in the city that want to have a specific um, specific target met for a neighborhood for the community um, to go into that. And, and it's looking at things like um, water mitigation on the roadways and sewer reductions in sewers. So there'd be bioswales rather than just ditches and drainage. Um, so ways of, of stopping water from being excessively put into to sewer systems and, and um, water, water mains. Um, and yeah, so a lot of times cities will put a piece of development property with um, caveats that require a build to, to build into a certain standard. And the developer um, may also, when they're selling it, if they're selling the property, they may put that as a, as a condition of the sale. So that's, that's often the driver behind it is, is a developer who's interested in it or the city who's demanding it. It's rare. It's not a super common um, project that would happen. This is, this is the only one that I knew of that's meeting the current standard of LEED um, in Canada. Maybe out in the West, there's a few more, but it's certainly in Eastern Canada. It's, one of the only ones. Okay. Um, speaking of leads specifically, uh, leads kind of evolved a lot over uh, the last number of years. Yeah. Um, what are some of those changes that you've noticed that have had the biggest impact and, and where do you see lead going? Well, lead is, is like every other um, a certification program where every five years they have a revamp and they, they move up a notch and they try to improve the, the targets that are happening and the way that it's happening. Uh, some of the challenges in the past with LEED is that it's very paperwork heavy and that people are point chasing rather than looking at the the overall de- development um, and build from a sustainability perspective. So there can be challenges around that. And especially in the trades, seeing those points being chased in a way over something else that maybe made more sense. Those are the biggest challenges that we've seen over the years. And, and I think as lead develops, they're, they're trying to remove those barriers and trying to get that. So it is, it makes more sense and it is not easier to accomplish, but that, that it is not, it's performance driven rather than points driven. Okay. Um, so that the performance of the whole project is, is taken into account rather than just getting the points to get you to a silver or platinum. Yeah, that makes sense to me because I think that uh, one of the challenges that people run into 
um, right. on the lead side of things in the past has been that uh, exactly that. Like they build the building, it's rated lead gold, lead platinum, and then they start doing energy, uh, you know, uh, basically testing and certification afterwards. Like they're they're seeing how the building actually performs and it's not performing to that kind of level. Yeah, so it's taking a design approach, but then there's the aftermath and whether it is actually performing the way it should be. But the, the certification is based on the design, not necessarily the performance. Um, and there are further um, further certifications that you can do to recertify the buildings depending on which program of LEED you're in. So looking forward with LEED, with Net Zero, with all these different systems, obviously right now, um, they're becoming more common than they were. But if you look at it as a percentage of the overall market, it's it's still relatively small. Yeah. Uh, what needs to happen, do you think, to change that? Um, part of it is policy. I think it's really coming down from the government and making it accessible for all. That's a very uh, nebulous sort of situation going on there. Like the, the driver behind it is right now is to be doing the right thing. Um, and of course, everybody wants to do the right thing, but we're all really motivated by the almighty dollar at the end of the day, and we're market driven. Um, and until we stop being market driven, there's there's going to be that push and pull in in those programs to make them accessible to everybody. Um, so I'm not sure really how to change that, but I, I think it's really coming down from policy where there's just a decision made that this is now the new standard. And as building code keeps ramping up and up, we're seeing these programs are harder and harder to get more gains out of. I don't know if that mm. makes sense. Yeah. Um, you know, like Energy Star, like I was saying, is 25% better than a code-built house. But a code-built house today compared to a code-built house even 30 years ago is where R2000 used to be. So, you know, as the homes get more and more per- high-performing, as a basic code-built house, do we need these other programs in place? I don't know. Yeah, that's a really good question. I think that, you know, there are, uh, there certainly are diminishing returns on on a lot of these. Um, You know, in BC, where I am, we've got step code. And if you look at the the difference between like a step three house and a step five house, it's definitely quite noticeable. Um, But if you go say a step five house to say like passive house, there is a difference, but how big of a difference is it really? Right. Um, and that's, I think, where we're going to have to start looking going forward is is kind of what's where, when do we hit the good enough phase? Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's an interesting question. And the other the other part in all of that is these are all great for projects and builds that are within city limits. But when we start getting rurally these programs become very inaccessible. The, the product alone is hard to get to remote areas and finding builders and trades who have those skills and have the ability to do high performance building is less and less. Costs are higher. So it becomes, it becomes a, an elite product rather than an everyday product. So uh, there's something that needs to be shifted in that whole realm as well, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree with you there. I think that a lot of what we've focused on, um, if we start putting at it in like a, a sales perspective or sales uh, parlance, I guess, is is really push marketing. And what we really need to do is pull marketing. We need to find a way to get the end user looking for these options rather than, uh, you know, a code changing or or builders wanting to build better. 
Um, one of the things that you work on is, is house labeling. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you think the labeling program can be used to kind of drive consumer knowledge about what they're getting when they buy a house? Because it's, it's a big purchase. It's the biggest purchase most of us make. Yeah, no, it is a huge purchase. And, and again, yeah, the labeling behind it is tricky because right now, I, I think it's around 25% of builders are building to high performance standards in Ontario. So that means 75% of the homes that are built out there don't have any kind of labeling or education around the performance of the homes at all. Um, the other ones, you you receive a label when you buy your home. So you get to have at least a somewhat of an understanding of, of what, what's going on in your house. Um, labeling pro- programs. The other, the other thing is we have an enormous um, body of existing housing. Like the existing housing stock is really the primary homes that are in Canada and they don't come with labels. They don't come with information on how they perform. And there's been a lot of pushback and starts and stops and attempts to get labeling happening for existing housing when they change hands. Um, And I don't know how to get a consumer demanding that to happen. I think that that's an important thing in Ontario. We were supposed to be having that happening with the previous uh, liberal government that's no longer happening now with our conservative government. So the, the mandatory labeling is off the table again. I don't know. I think that those, again, coming back to policy and making it something that is inherent and automatic in a home rather than the consumer having to drive that change because the average consumer doesn't know. No, they don't. And I think the challenge too with labeling is that the labels all have, you know, very different, metrics that they're mm-hmm. that they're showing and, and then people don't really understand what they are. I mean, I've yeah. been in the industry for quite some time and I don't know what some of these metrics are. <laughs> uh, so I, I think that there's a real challenge there. Um, I mean, if you look, uh, it's another BC example because that's where I am. But if you look at our cars for the longer, for probably 20, 25 years, we had a program out here called Air Care. And so all the cars, when you ha- before you went and got them insured, depending on the age of the car, it was either every year or every two years, you had to go to air care and they had to certify that it wasn't producing more emissions than mm-hmm. it was supposed to. And if it was, then you had to get it fixed before you get your insurance again. We had a similar program here, yeah. Okay, yeah. And I mean, they've, they've effectively now actually closed that program down because there's very few cars on the road that have that issue. With houses, we I, I think we need to find a way to do a similar thing, but the challenge there is is the cost. I mean, uh, it, you know, it's expensive to get your car to to meet air care standards for sure. But if you're going to buy a house and the housing markets are already so expensive, mm-hmm. and now you have to upgrade that house to meet an energy efficiency, um, I guess how do we? Where, where do you think we might be able to find some balance there? I know it's a tough question. It is a really tough question for me. I feel really, um, I get concerned about the idea of mandatory labeling and bringing that along with housing, not for, because I was a real estate agent and not because it impacts the high end real estate agents from being able to sell their homes. They're going to sell those homes no matter what. What it does is the low income housing, the people who are on the lower end of things really are at a disadvantage. Suddenly their houses are worth even less than they thought they were. They can't do the repairs. They are the ones that are getting really disadvantaged by mandatory labeling, in my opinion. So I, it's, it's a question I can't really answer. I, I don't know how to change that and make that be um, something that levels the playing field. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I, 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 I've thought about it lots of times in the past. It's very difficult, especially for those lower income uh, 
people. Yeah. They tend to live in the houses that are a bit older that would be more affected by this. Um, and exactly. yeah. it's just, it, it's so challenging. I mean, especially switching to a system like that, um, you know, mortgages and everything are, are set on the value of the house now. But if all yeah. of a sudden the house value drops dramatically because of the, it's not efficient or it's not properly built, um, yeah. now you're underwater possibly on your mortgage. So you couldn't even sell it. Yeah. So and then there's the other potential around. Um, for me, it seems like insurance is a, is a way to maybe work at it. Um, if there are, you know, same way, if you have a clean driving record for a certain number of years, you get a 10% discount on your insurance. If you have a labeled home, a green home that meets a certain standard standard and level of, of energy consumption, then you get a bonus within your, you get a, a rebate of some sort in your insurance. Um, to me, that would be a way of potentially leveling the playing field. Yeah, that's a really good point. I like that. Um, or maybe even uh, the government puts some sort of uh, situation in, in line for banks so that people who, who are upgrading to a, their house to being a labeled home have access to a lower interest rate. Although right now that's very tough to have. Um, but in the future, when interest rates are more normalized, um, they have access to a slightly lower interest rate to help offset some of those costs. And there have been programs that come around that through banks. They're not on the interest rate of the mortgage loan, but they're on the mortgage insurance. So if you can produce a label that that is at a certain level um, for your home, either as an existing home or a new home, then you can um, you can actually receive rebates off of your mortgage insurance. So there is that out there. CMHC, I think, has had that and Genworth both had that. Whether they still do or not, I'm not sure. Really, I think that it comes down to uh, not penalizing people for having poor performing homes, but incentivizing and giving bonuses to people who have good performing homes. And it doesn't have to have an Energy Star label or a program label, which is where the Energuide rating system comes in. It's just a number of how your home performs rather than giving it a specific program label. Does that make yeah, sense? That makes total sense, 100%. Um, as I get towards the end of these episodes, I typically ask two questions. Uh, and so the first one's kind of a fun question because you get a magic wand. Um, and the question is, if you could fix any one misconception about better construction, what would it be for you? Misconception about better construction, that it's expensive, that it costs more. It doesn't cost more. If, if you plan it properly from the beginning before you actually break ground, it often costs less. Um, and in the long run, it costs less to operate the home. But it, people have this conception that green homes are just expensive. So uh, that's that would be one. Perfect. Yeah, I agree with that totally. Um, and then the last question I ask is a personal interest question for me. I read and collect a lot of books. And so for you, if you could recommend a book, personal or professional, uh, which one would it be right now? Mm, right now, I'm actually reading a Robin Wall Kimmerer book called Braided Sweetgrass. And it's really about uh, kind of learning ecology through Indigenous knowledge. And it's uh, it just is kind of making you st step back a little bit and maybe not look at market-driven world and, and a commodity-driven world and just looking at the world in a slightly different way. Wow, that sounds really interesting. I'm going to check that one out. All right. Well, for everyone listening and watching, I'm going to put links down below to uh, your social media account and your website mm -hmm. and such. And uh, you can definitely reach out there with more questions. And yeah. with that, thank you so much for your time. I hope you have a good rest of your day.
Thanks, Sean. All right. Thanks, guys, for listening to this week's episode of Better Construction. I really appreciate you taking the time to do so. If you have any questions for myself or the guest, you feel free to reach out on social media or on the website at uh, www.betterconstructionmedia.com. And with that, we'll talk again next time.